I got saved, and I heard a lot of things I never heard of, never heard before, Bible stuff, plain English without all that street. I heard something else I never heard before early, early in my Christianity. It was a rock bottom Baptist church. I went, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> and I heard the reports uh, for, for, seven, for years about what God was doing down there. Amen. This thing's real. Amen. I'm glad to be part of it. Uh, that's an understatement. Uh, down south, you'll see uh, uh, churches, different, all different churches on uh, different corners. I've actually seen a church on every corner of all four corners in a town. Uh, where there wasn't, when there was only three, usually there was a Walmart or CVS on the other one. I think they're all jockeying for, for position to buy up property. I've been up in New England where there was three, three drugstores on out of four corners before. Up there in our friend's town up there. And uh, I'm just glad to be where it's simple. We went through a town one time, Tennessee, and uh, we're coming into town. We're just in the backwoods going from point A to point B. And, uh, and my wife sees a church, and it says Harmony Baptist Church. I thought, oh, that's a pretty good name. We went about, I don't know, half a mile, and we saw a new Harmony Baptist Church. <laughs> and we'd been around just long enough to know what that meant. <laughs> Amen. There, wasn't, there must not have been as much harmony in Harmony Baptist Church as they thought. Amen. Uh, Brother Gip said years ago, this is how independent Baptists spread the gospel. They get mad at each other and split and go to different parts of the country and, and preach. Amen. And there are churches all over this country, and I'm happy about that. And we, it's a privilege and honor to get to go to them and uh, all these years. And there's little, I call them outposts like this, all over the country. I mean, when Elijah got a hold of that mentality that I'm the only one, and uh, I've been in places where it felt like that. There wasn't anybody near or close at all, uh, but, uh, but uh, they're not the only one. We're not the only one. God's got, God's got a lot of his people. I mean, in Staten Island, New York, in the heart of Los Angeles, there are churches, there are groups of believers in places that are faithful, uh, in places where it's a little more difficult than it is here, let alone the Bible Belt. Amen. And uh, so I want to talk to you tonight. Take your Bible, go to uh, Philippians chapter 2. I don't know if this is on or not. So is it? Is it on? Okay. Because, uh, you know, all I can hear is me. Anyway, and uh, as my wife says too, uh, Praise the Lord, you can stand. Would you, come on, let's stand up here. Amen. Get past the confusion. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read from the uh, verse 1 through the end of the book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, Bible says this. Uh, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Thank you, Lord God, for the privilege to gather here tonight. There was a great honor to stand in this pulpit. And uh, like Brother Tom, I fully understand the responsibility is overwhelming sometimes, and it should be. Father, please meet with us. Continue. 
I should say, to meet with us. Help me to say something from your book that'll be a blessing to you and to your people. And uh, God, if there's a chance somebody in here is not saved, Lord God, at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. Presenting the gospel as clearly and plainly as simple as you made it for us. Pray that tonight somebody might get closer to their redemption. Maybe even tonight would be their day of salvation. I love you, Lord. I need your help. I've been telling you that all day, and you've been agreeing with me every time. And so we're on the same page there. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you saw what it said, and, uh, and uh, it, it mentions a fellow named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Now, I'm pretty sure nobody in here is named Epaphroditus, right? You got to check these days. People are so easily offended. You know, you got to be careful what you say. Nobody, I don't guess, is going to name their kid that. And we got some weird names these days. Amen. Uh, and uh, so Paul's second missionary journey, just hold your place there and go to uh, Acts chapter 16. And Paul's second uh, missionary journey uh, took him to Philippi. That's where Epaphroditus is from. And uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse uh, 9 is what I have written down. I sure hope I'm right. And uh, if not, I'll just read something because it's all good. It really is. It says in uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Uh, there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, uh, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. Philippi's in Macedonia. They needed help. Amen. And uh, why did they need so much help? Well, they were pagan as you could be. This town, this town, uh, uh, Philippi, uh, they had a patron goddess and her name was Aphrodite. Aphrodite. And a lot of them, a lot of them towns, uh, a lot of them cities back then, ancient Greece and stuff, they had uh, patron Saints are gods and goddesses. I get confused with that other thing. But, uh, and uh, like, you know, you're familiar with, uh, with Ephesus had uh, Diana was their goddess. There were people that made a living carving out little statues and stuff like that and, and all that. So if Philippi's goddess was Aphrodite, amen. And you know what? In places where you got that kind of, uh, I don't know what the word, I'm not going to try too hard to find it. When you got that kind of connection to something, uh, people name their kids after, after, you know, their gods and goddesses. I feel sorry for Paphrodite because, like, he's a guy. <laughs> and he got named after, uh, you know, these days, like I uh, alluded to earlier, these days uh, uh, we, just, uh, we have an interesting way of coming up with names now. When I was growing up, we named our we named our kids. Our kids were named me included. We were named after relatives. I mean, my name is David Charles Spurgeon. Amen. Very simple names. Uh, my grandfather from Ireland was David Franklin Bowden, and my uh, my uh, on the Spurgeon side, my grandfather was Charles Spurgeon. People ask me all the time, "Are you related to Charles Spurgeon?" And I know they're talking about Charles Haddon. I'm the grandson of Charles McLean Spurgeon. But my answer to the people that ask about the other guy is, yes, we're brothers in Jesus Christ. Are you saved in here tonight? Amen. Amen. We're related to the Lord. Paphrodites, you know, I was reading through this, and I was thinking about that, growing up with that name. I was out in uh, 
uh, Huntington Beach, California, with a friend of mine uh, a couple years ago, and they got a nice Harley shop there, and I was there with the with the brother that bought a bike, and uh, and I'm just there. I got tracks, man. I mean, I'm ready. I can walk up to a guy at a Harley shop, make a comment about a motorcycle, and get you know get their guard down, compliment them. You ever try that? Maybe you could get more tracks out, you know. And uh, and uh, here comes this fella. He's about six two and kind of got red hair. And uh, he's the salesman. He's the head of it. And uh, he's coming over there to help us. And uh, and I mean, I've got my fingers on the track already. And I say, Hey, man, what's your name? <laughs> and he says, Ginger, because <laughs> of the red hair. Right, and you know, I it totally derailed me. You know, I wanted to tell him about Jesus, and I said, "Well, oh, I bet that was fun growing up with." <laughs> amen, amen. And uh, tell you what, he looked like a pretty tough boy. Might have worked, man. Amen. But I thought about Ginger when I was thinking about this guy, reading about this guy. This guy's named Epaphroditus. Amen. He was named after uh, the chief idol of Philippi. Like I said, those cities back in ancient Greece, Rome too, they would have patron idols. And, uh, but you know what? That, that has continued on to America because all over the country, cities have, have their little patron idols. They just uh, meet and play in stadiums. Oh, man, I'm not kidding you. Uh, you, walk, you go to Walmart, you go out in public much, and you read bumper stickers on the cards, you'll find out, man, who people were. You'll find out what altar a lot of people worship at. Yeah. Yeah. And that got so prevalent that now all them people, they do all their big things on Sunday because it don't phase anybody. Amen. There was things, there's places in the country where the little, little league didn't play on Wednesday and they didn't schedule uh, big games on Sunday, but ain't that way no more. Amen. Let me tell you something. Now, you might be a sports fan, and, uh, and uh, I just want to say I have no problem with sports. I got no problem with it. I have a big problem with idolatry, Amen. however. And when any of that stuff gets more, hey, when you know more statistics of, than, you do, than you do Bible, yeah. Amen. I'm talking to Christians here tonight. Amen. You got some things out of order. And it's okay to richly enjoy all things as long as you keep Jesus Christ in his rightful place uh, Thou shalt love uh, no other God before me. Amen. And so here we got Epaphroditus, and uh, he's been summoned. Well, he met Paul because he's been, Paul's been summoned to Macedonia by this vision. And uh, it's a pagan place and it's an ungodly place, and it's a heathen place, and they're even naming their kids after their, after their false gods. And uh, I think about all that, and it's basically the theme of, of, the, uh, of the Pauline epistles. I'm happy to report tonight that, uh, that pagan religion is no match for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth. Now, I got in on the everyone clause. Yeah. And then it goes out and says, uh, To the Jew first and also 
to the Greek. Amen. Thank God I heard the gospel of Christ. Amen. Thank God I responded to it. Thank God it made such an impression on me that somebody like me could be forgiven. I have never gotten over it. And I don't say that to make it sound like I'm spiritual. I'm not. Amen. i tell you what God did, knowing how carnal that I can be, he put me around a bunch of folks that never got over it either. Amen. And that's scriptural too. That book says, iron sharpeneth iron, and so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And I know some people that are saved, and I don't doubt they love God, but I'm going to tell you something, plastic don't sharpen nothing. Right. Amen. I mentioned to somebody outside, I guess Brother Bowman and I think we were talking last night, and the Bible says iron sharpens. You know, you sharpen something, it, you know, sometimes it causes a little friction, yeah. <laughs> a little heat, and that's what people don't want. Oh, no, oh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, you need that sometimes. Amen. Amen. You'll be better for it. You know, they used to say, first you get mad, uh, you get mad, then you get sad, then you get glad. That's going through the sharpening process. And the end result is a good thing. All right, so we're talking about uh, Epaphrodites. Let me say this here. I, I'm of the opinion that there is a difference between just being saved. And don't get me wrong, there is absolutely nothing more important than being saved. Can I get an amen? Amen. I am of the opinion that, uh, that uh, uh, there's a difference between just being saved and being a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. We throw the words around interchangeably all the time, and you'll talk to somebody, and, and, uh, and, and, and well, you'll, we'll ask people if they're Christians, and they don't know any other. If they went to church sometime, they'll say, uh, they'll say yes, and if we accept that, well, we probably missed some opportunities that God put in our path. I remember asking a guy many years ago, uh, I'd say, hey, man, yeah, I, I don't know what I said, how I let in, but he, I probably asked him if he had saved me. He said, yes. I said, uh, really? I said, where did he go to church? Because there was a time when I just thought saved people went to church. Yeah. I've been around long enough to know that a lot of them don't. Amen. They should. I'm preaching at the choir because obviously you're here on a Tuesday night. Amen. But I'll ask a guy, I said, where do you go to church? He said, oh, I go out to, I go to Charity Baptist Church out in Beaver Creek. Now, I've been there about five years, and I don't think in the first five years I ever missed a service. Because I was on federal probation, and that judge, you know, anyway. And, uh, but that's what people do. They'll go to church somewhere, they'll get a name in their head. I like it when I try to witness to people, and they'll, they'll throw out a name in the church, and I'll say, who's the pastor there? And they don't know the pastor. Boy, I know my pastor's name. He was in the Navy. Did anybody know that besides me in here? Amen. <laughs> Amen. So uh, I want to talk to you about being a Christian tonight, right out of this verse. And, uh, and uh, uh, the Bible said the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I want to be a Christian. Uh, Christian's the best thing I've ever been called. I've been called a lot of things, and most of them was bad, and probably most of them were true, and uh, I was happy about that. Many other bad things have been said about me through the years. I 
took his compliments. That's how messed up I was. But now, uh, like Brother Cliff said, somebody identified him by something, his demeanor, because it ain't about outfits. My wife says, oh, well, which outfit are you going to wear? Let me tell you something. Men don't wear outfits. They serve in them. <laughs> Amen. Women wear outfits. But uh, I'll tell you what, I want to be identified as a child of God, as a Christian. Amen. And uh, I want to be the kind of guy that maybe somebody would have reason to ask the reason of the hope Amen. that is in me. Amen. And uh, people got to see something in us to ask. Amen. We're past people, millions of people, day in and day out. And people are busy going their way and doing their thing. And, uh, boy, they need to see something in us. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you right on this passage, a couple of points about, about uh, three things out of verse 25 about Epaphroditus. Paul said them that should, I think, that could certainly and should uh, apply, uh, pertain to every Christian. Okay, let's look at the verse uh, it says, uh, let's read again. He said, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you a Paphroditus, my brother. Amen. That's a pretty big deal right there. You know, you keep your place there. But uh, go over to uh, Book of Acts, Chapter 9. Book of Acts, Chapter 9. Now, you're familiar uh, with the passage, and you ought to be if you're not. And that's a great uh, chapter. That's a great passage where uh, the or Saul, the chief persecutor, uh, uh, gets uh, arrested on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, there's a lot of preaching right there. First thing he said was, Lord, what would thou have me to do? I don't have been saved for years and it never even occurred to him to ask that. It's like, I gave you my sin, Lord. What else do you want? Boy, what a screwed up thinking that is. People stroll into church once in a while like they're doing God a favor. Man, I'm glad God didn't put me around a crowd like that because I'm going to tell you what would happen if he would have. Six months later, I'd have been long gone. I'm going to tell you what brought me to Jesus Christ, what brought me to the faith that I received by believing and studying that book. I was looking for something real as a teenager when I joined the military. And when what I was looking for, I didn't find. I continued to look and got involved in a big mess in a one percenter motorcycle club. And uh, you say, what's that? Buy my book, it's in there. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I was and it wasn't there, that wasn't it. It didn't fill the void. You'll hear people say, I was looking for something and, uh, and I didn't know what it was until they got saved. And every human has got a, a, a void, a hole that uh, is, uh, can only be filled by God. Amen. And when I got into the church early on, I said, man, these people really love this guy that I had just recently been introduced to and trusted. Didn't doubt he existed. Amen. And they really believed that. They really believed this book. And I said, man, I've I just been looking for something worth living for all my life. And it took me 38 years to get there, but uh, better late than never. Now, Saul, so he got saved. He was, a, he was a pretty zealous fella. And uh, and uh, first thing he said was, what would thou have me to do? And you'll notice what the Lord did. Now, if I'm reading my Bible right, he's having a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord answered him. 
Amen. And then he said, what will they have me to do? But the Lord didn't answer that question. The Lord told it. Well, he might have kind of did, uh, but not in the way Paul ex Saul expected. He sent him to send him into town and told him that uh, he'd send a guy. I'm paraphrasing. And you know the story, Ananias. And I don't want to be here all night, keep you here all night. But, uh, but uh, Ananias, he was a man, hey man, he was a, God, a man of God trusted enough that he spoke to him in a vision and he recognized his voice. It wasn't like Samuel a uh, third time, you know. He said, uh, uh, yes, Lord. And uh, he said, uh, this is what I want you to do and I want you to talk to, to Saul. And, and, and Ananias did what we'd sometimes do. We tried to remind God of maybe a detail that he'd forgotten. And so Ananias goes on about telling, uh, telling God there that this guy's got, uh, you know, warrants. He's got paperwork. He's sent here from the chief priest to persecute your people. Like, God didn't forget any of that. And finally, he just shut him down and said, go thy way. And you'll notice in verse 17, Acts chapter 9, verse 17, we'll pick it up right there. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, uh, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, had sent me, uh, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember, Ananias is apprehensive about going to this place where this guy with this horrible reputation is. And he begins uh, his introduction to him by saying that word, brother. He said, it was like in his mind, he's like, don't kill me. We're brothers now. Remember Jesus? Remember that thing? He wanted to make sure. Say, did he really think like that? I might have. I, as far as I can tell, Ananias and other men in the Bible are just like us, just people. They're just people. Your superheroes are on television. That Bible is God manifesting himself through folks just like us. Amen. So he called him brother. Now, obviously, he's not referring to uh, blood kinship. Amen. They never met. Amen. They're from different cities. He called him brother. You know, he wasn't a brother from another mother. It wasn't that kind of thing. Amen. And uh, you should be laughing because we did have that discussion, didn't we? Amen. And uh, so you got, you got Saul coming on saying, uh, brother Saul. And true, it was true. It was honest. It was real. Because they were brothers in Jesus Christ. They became brothers uh, at the time of each of their individual conversion to Christ. I doesn't say how Ananias came to know the Lord. Pretty clear about how Saul did. But the day they got it, but the day Saul got it, they became brothers in Christ. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And thank God Jesus Christ changes things. Amen. Amen. And it isn't some shave and a haircut and a Christian suit. It's what he, it starts inside. Amen. Right. My parents didn't change when I got saved in jail that day. I still had hair down the middle of my back and et cetera. And, uh, but some changed. I knew it too. And I had no idea what. And I had no idea where I was going to end up because I figured I'd just end up in prison. And, uh, and uh, I, believe me, I never saw this coming. Not in a million years. Amen. I still pinch myself. Don't you try it, but I'll pin, you know. Amen. But uh, tell you what, it says all things become new. And one of the things that become new 
is God puts you into his family. Now, think about that. Now, I've never been connected to no wealthy family, but if there was one that I'd want to be connected to, oh, that's right. I already am. You want to hear something scary? That makes you all, if you're saved, my brothers and sisters. This would be a good time to mention that my birthday is February 10th, just a couple of weeks. Keep the cards and letters coming. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Let me tell you something else. You're not just brothers and sisters with each other here as members of Anchor Baptist Church. You've got brothers and sisters all over this country, like I said. You've got brothers and sisters all over this world because of men like Brother Dempsey and his dear wife and Brother Rue and and Brother Cliff spent some time. And there's missionaries. I mean, look at them. And those folks, those converts, uh, whether they was naked bushmen in New Guinea, amen, or or businessmen in, in the Ukraine, the day they got put their faith and trust, they got in the same family you got in. Through Christ. Amen. Hey, listen, it is no small thing. People throw that word around, and we use that word in the club, and it was a brotherhood, and it was just an imitation of what Jesus Christ established. But people throw that word around, but when I I don't, it, it always was a big deal to me. And when I got in the family of God and, uh, and, uh, and I realized this thing, the truth, the tru- hey, the gravity of this thing, when I read it in the Bible, when I read Philippians 2.25, and I see that the first thing that Paul said about this, I would say probably new convert to some degree, maybe a year or two, uh, the first thing he says about him, and he's a, he's a brother. Does anybody call you that? I'm not even asking you if you're saved. But are you a brother? I mean, maybe spiritually, but I mean, does anybody consider you part of the same family? Or they, you know, hope you don't come to Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Amen. I'm glad to be part of it. Let me tell you something else now. Brother Tom, he's experienced it. Brother Cliff, you're right around the corner. Your pastor, of course, he's you know, forever young. But uh, some of us are finding out, especially the ones that get around, travel, go church to church, we are finding out that there's a phrase that God gave us that comes in very handy. It goes like this. Hey, brother. And you're like, what is his name? What are their names? And you can just lean in and say, hello, brother, like you remember him. And then you're like really listening closely. To, oh, yeah, that's it. Me and my wife, we help each other. Hello, sister, good to see you. And they're waiting for you to tell them about whatever it was they made and how good it was. You don't remember that stuff and you just kind of move on. But I'm just saying tonight that uh, first thing Paul said about, uh, about uh, what's his name? Epaphroditus, as he called him, brother. Amen. Amen. Brother Joe, would you come up here? I don't have any young. Oh, no, never mind. Never mind. Yes, I do. I use this fellow right here. Now, brother, that's a big deal to me. Now, let me explain something to you. Man, why do they got to be so high? <laughs> can I? Can, uh, yes. All right. Now, are you saved? Yes. Good. A brother, family, right? What are you smiling about, Brother Ben? You might be next. I saw that. I saw that. Amen. A brother's relationship is like this, right? Shake hands. Face to face. We're brothers. 
We got something in common. We might have differences of opinion or things, in which case you're probably wrong. But uh, <laughs> when your brother in Christ, sister in Christ, your relationship is face to face, right? All right, thank you. And uh, yeah, say, well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, it might, for it's over. Amen. So next thing he says to him, next thing he says to him, let me see the verse, said, uh, Epaphroditus, my brother. Boy, every time I read that, I'm thinking, God, that there wasn't no Epaphroditus in my, you know, heritage, in my lineage. I wouldn't want to have to deal with that name. Amen. <laughs> Second thing he says about him is, uh, is what? Let me go back. My brother and companion in labor. Now, he says that about this fellow, Epaphroditus. He calls him a companion in labor. That word shows up in your Bible a few times, and not all of them are good. I'll just give you one. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says this, He that walk with a wise man shall be wise. So even if you're not real sharp, hang out with somebody that is. It might rub off. But if it don't, just keep your mouth shut. People will think you're smart. At least you're smart enough to hang around somebody that's wise. That's good preaching right there. I probably heard Cliff say it years ago. I don't know. Amen. But, uh, but it says, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Amen. That's not the kind of companion you want to be. In my years with the motorcycle clubs, I buried 41 of my own guys. In just the 15 years that I was with it, 41. There's a wall erected out at uh, Boot Hill, we called it, Bear Creek Cemetery out on the other side of Drexel. They built a wall. I just saw it recently, and there's over 1,000 names on it. Amen. My name was going to be on there. My, my gravesite was already picked out out there. Till Lord intervened, I got saved. What he's saying, Brother Spurgeon, I stood over, now I didn't make it to every one of them funerals, but I stood over many of them, and, and some of them I officiated over because of my status in the club. And, uh, and I said this, I said, I'll see you in hell, brother. And I was more doctrinally, doctrinally correct than a lot of people standing in pulpits around America today won't even dare say it. And some of them don't believe it. Now, if you don't believe in hell, I don't see how you could be saved. What did Jesus Christ die for? He didn't die for you to go to heaven. That's just a benefit, man. He didn't die for you to get victory over drugs and, and a bad marriage and bad habits. That stuff just, that's icing on a cake for a child of God. That book says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he died for our sins. Because our sins were taking us to hell. Amen. I'm glad he was willing to. Amen. So he calls him a companion in labor. And, uh, and you know, that's a compliment uh, to be a companion in labor in the work of Jesus Christ. But let's face it, man, this is coming from, from the Apostle Paul. By this time, he's already written parts of our Bible. And uh, we've got one of the epistles right here. And he's a companion in labor. And Jesus Christ himself said in John chapter 4, uh, he said, he that, I think it's verse 36, says, He that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Well, you get to get in on something that God has put his stamp of approval on. Paul concurred in, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. He said, for we are laborers together 
in with God. And just before that, he mentions, you know, people that put preachers, I mentioned this last night, up on pedestals, and he reminds them. The purpose of that thing is to remind them, listen, they can't save nobody. You can't save nobody. All you can do is be faithful to sow and to water and you sow and God will let you be where the reaping's been sometimes. I've been in places preaching. Uh, Miss Linda is not the only person that got saved at Bible Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Amen. Thank God you did, sis. But I've preached out there many times and we've seen a bunch of birds, sometimes pretty rough folks, Come to Jesus Christ. Amen. And, uh, and, uh, but you know what I know? When I'm in a church and somebody gets saved, and we see some folks get saved once in a while, I'll tell you what, and maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's a little spiritual maturity or growth. Maybe it's just the Holy Spirit making sure that I don't think that's because of anything I just did. We go to places where the word of God has been sown and people have prayed and people have bore witness to it. And every once in a while, God will let a preacher get in a place where he'll preach. And that's the day God chooses to give the increase. And we get to see it, to fire us up, to encourage us, to keep us in the fight. Not so we can think. And the way you know that's true is because some didn't get that. And I don't know, the FBI can't find them tonight. With a warrant. Guess it didn't stay exciting enough. Boy, it has stayed exciting enough uh, to me. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you this secret about my wife. So, therefore, it will no longer. Okay, other people have heard it. I've ta- I tell people my wife is, I say, bookish, but she's a big reader. She's a big reader. She likes to read. She reads books all the time. You know, I have a nice study, I have a house. Uh, I, I have a nice study. I have books. I got everything I need. I should be a better preacher than I am, I tell you. Because I'll be sitting there, and I know I should be studying, and I know God wants to tell me something, and I'll hear a voice, and like six feet from my desk is my garage. And I'll like, it's like, you know, spooky. I'll get up, I'll get up, and I'll open the door, and I'll walk out there in the middle of the garage, and I have no idea why I'm there. I don't have any project going. My motorcycle's sitting there. It's stinking snowing. I don't, I, that's my comfort zone to be out there. Amen. And my call requires me to read and study. So I force myself to do it. If it comes easy, praise the Lord. If it doesn't, do it anyway. That thing about study to sow thyself approved unto God, a working that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, that's for us, all of us. So my wife likes to read. I like to read this, tell me if there's anything interesting. And I quit doing that because she finds stuff, she reads weird stories. Uh, and, well, they were in Africa. No, come on, no, I don't want to. And, she'll, and so I quit telling her to tell me because she finds interesting things in everything. But we'll be going down the road and she says, you know, I was reading this Amish book. And I'm going, okay, it might be something in that. And, uh, and how they're out there, and they got no electricity, and they got no tractors, and they got no anything, you know. And, uh, and uh, they're, they're having a, a plow horse competition. Now, I grew up in northern Ohio, and we call them tractor pulls. I don't know what you guys do. But, uh, but, uh, and, and so a plow horse competition on a, at a Amish County is like, is like a tractor and so, I mean, it's a big event, and people come in from different 
Amish places <laughs> and, uh, and with their horses and they must ride them because they can't put them on trucks. I don't know. <laughs> and then she's giving me all the details to this. And, uh, and so they, they, I mean, they, these are magnificently bred teams of horses. Generations, they've been bred to Paul. And I mean, they're immaculately groomed. And I mean, they're braiding their tails in their hair. They don't do that for themselves, but they do for the horse. And, uh, and all this stuff. And, uh, and some of these teams, they got pedigrees and, and stuff. And, she's, and I'm like, I'm trying to drive here. You're putting me to sleep. But then she says, then she says, you know who won? You know who won the competition? There was another team, and they were mismatched, and one was older and wiser. Amen, one was young and strong, and they weren't matched well in size. They weren't matched well in strength, amen. One had been around a while. The other one was just learning, but they, the story went like this. They got into that match. They got yoked up together, and they won. And boy, don't you know that made all the fancy, expensive horse owners mad, and, and the moral of the story is what? It wasn't that they were the best bred or the prettiest or, or the most expensive. That was just two horses that got in a yoke and pulled together. Amen. Companion in labor. You know, it says in uh, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, the Lord says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, you ever get yoked up with Jesus Christ? Amen. You can do something. You can get him become a part of something that'll last forever. He that soweth to the Spirit shall so let the Spirit reap life everlasting. I like the poem, uh, only, only one life will soon be passed. Can you finish it for me? In unison? Only what's done. You read, you look that up. You Google that from C.T. Studd, and there's about 20 verses. Would you like to hear them? Because, oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you guys are scared to death. Amen. Amen. So companions in labor. Brother Ben Rue, would you please come up here, please? Please assist me. If I walk down these steps again, I might need assistance getting back up there. But uh, so now we talked about a brother. The first thing he called him was a brother. And a brother's relationship is face-to-face, -face, right? But a, but a companion in labor. Is there anything you'd like to say before? Okay, I'm kidding. All right. But a companion in labor, their relationship isn't face-to-face. -face. It's side-by-side, -side, working together for the glory of Jesus Christ. He said that about Epaphroditus. I want that to be said about me. I want to be yoked up with somebody that's trying to do something for God. Thank you, brother. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Man, that's, woo. Okay. <laughs> Amen. All right. So he calls him something else. He calls him, uh, let me see, brother, companion in labor. Let me make sure. I'm not done with that one yet. Oh, good. This is the best part. Amen. Uh, Philippians chapter four. Hey, he went to 915. Come on. Give me a break. And, uh, and, uh, Flip in chapter four. Said you were watching your clock. You were. <laughs> I know how this works. Amen. Flip in chapter four and verse three. You want me to stop? I will. Preacher. 
I can't hear you. Okay, good. And it says, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. Now, we're talking about companions and labor. It looks to me like, well, read Philippians 4, verse 3. I'll get it right. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those, what? Women which labored with me in the gospel. Amen. It sounds like some of them co-laborers were female. Yeah. Amen. And uh, their name didn't get in this book, but they got in the other one because God doesn't miss a lick. Amen. It says, and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the uh, book of life. Amen. You know what? Now, Harry and I have been on the road together 25 years, and, uh, and uh, I just throw this out there like this. You know why we're able to do uh, what God called us to do? Let me just make it real clear uh, uh, before you go and ask Kurt. It isn't because we agree on everything. How could it be? She's a woman. <laughs> I don't even understand how she thinks, let alone... Amen. So it isn't that. It isn't that. It isn't because we don't have differences of opinion. I'm Irish. She's German. That's a formula for disaster. Amen. I'm going to I don't even agree with myself all the time. But I'm going to tell you why we're able to do what we do. It says in Psalm 119 and verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. Her and I are able to do what we do and be on the road as much as we are because we are companions in labor in the work of God. As a matter of fact, at the top of my prayer letter, which is somewhere back there, uh, it says evangelist and Mrs. David Charles Spurgeon, and then that's the verse in 1 Corinthians 3, for we are laborers together. Amen. Together with God. I'm just saying, uh, these are things, uh, are you saved? Yeah. Amen. Uh, uh, don't run away from home. Don't leave the family. This is the place you want to be. And uh, this is where you'll have brothers and sisters that'll encourage you. And the uh, Bible says, uh, uh, let me see. faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Some people fly the coop because somebody said something they didn't like. That might be the best thing could ever happen to you. I learned this on the street 40 years ago. You, be, you better be real careful, anybody that tells you what you want to hear. Amen. Especially you girls. You follow what I'm saying? Don't. Did you understand that? Amen. Got quieter. That's not the response I expected, but amen. amen. And if I spit on you, you'd probably get louder. I don't know. Amen. Now, one more. One more. Right? One more. You got time for one more? We call him a fellow soldier. Fellow soldier, he says, uh, yet I suppose it necessary to send a Baphrodite. And then he called him a fellow soldier. Put your, uh, uh, hold your place there, I guess, and go to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 11. The Bible says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having, the, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith wherewith 
you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All that is defensive except for the only offensive weapon you need, beloved, and that is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Amen. I heard it said that, uh, notice that all the Christian armor is on the front. Therefore, you better not turn around. You better not turn and run because your back would be unprotected. And I get it. I agree. We're supposed to be heading into the battle. But I'm also here to tell you that if that's true, what I just said, that if you ever turn around, your back is unprotected. I'm here to tell you tonight that your back should never be unprotected. Brother Joe, help me out. Now, I'm a vet, infantry. I know what I'm talking about. So he talked about uh, a brother's relationship is face-to-face and a co-laborer's, uh, companion laborer's relationship is, is side by side, common goal, not competing with one another, trying to do something for the glory of God. Would you agree with that? Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you about a soldier's relationship. Turn around. A soldier's relationship is back to back. Your back should never be uncovered. Amen. We're supposed to have each other's back. Amen. Right. At all times. Thank you, brother. Amen. Amen. You've heard the expression, uh, I got your six. That's what that means. I didn't have that when I was in the military 50 years ago. Wow, really? Yeah. And, uh, but uh, on a clock, except for the digital clocks, the six is at the bottom. If 12 is ahead of you, six is behind you. And that's what we're supposed to do, beloved. We're supposed to have each other's back. Again, we're not, we're not, we're not in competition with one another. Uh, we've got the flesh against us, the world against us, uh, the devil against us. Uh, but my, if I'm reading the Bible right, we should have each other's back. Strength isn't in number, my friend. It never was. Strength is in unity. I'd rather, ha- I'd rather go into a confrontation uh, with one or two guys that I knew would not cut and run than with a half a dozen that I didn't know if they are going to be there or not. And I've been in both positions. Amen. And the uh, Bible says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good what? Soldier of Jesus Christ. I like that stuff. I can say I'm a veteran. I'm military-minded. We're patriots here, right? Amen. Do our hearts as a good soldier. And, uh, but that next verse says, No man of war entangle himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him. Would that be Jesus Christ? Right. Chosen him to be a soldier. And there's people that I don't doubt are saved and believe the King James Bible and might even be faithful to church, but they're not ever going to be soldiers for Jesus Christ because they've allowed themselves to get entangled in the affairs of this life. And that's not an accident. That's the, the God of this world. That's his design. And he's good at what he does. And your flesh is complacent. And for you ever going to be a fellow soldier, another Christian or a good soldier for Jesus Christ, you're going to have to start getting unentangled. And sometimes it seems massive and overwhelming and the end's not in sight. Let me tell you something. Somebody's already said it. One step at a time, it starts right here. God, help me, little by little, get my priorities straightened out because I want to do something because I thank you for what you did for me. I don't live for Jesus Christ out of fear or guilt. Amen. Nobody's going to guilt trip me into doing nothing. Nobody ever did. And that Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us. 
That's what compels us to be faithful. That's what compels us to get victory over sin. That's what compels us to maintain a good testimony. The love of Jesus Christ that the Bible says God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners. He don't love you because you cleaned up your act. He loved you at your worst, like it's already been said. I don't know about you. That's contrary to the way the world works. When I heard that, I went, wait, what? Amen. All right, so those three things, I said three things, and those are the three things. And uh, it just, let me finish this point by saying it's a lot easier to endure hardness, and hardness is part of it, if you just know that somebody has your back. Amen. So Epaphroditus was a brother and a companion, a laborer, and a fellow soldier. And uh, that should be able to be said about you, all of them. Uh, so I'll wrap it up by saying this. Are you the uh, brother or sister you should be? Some families, I watch some families, they work together like this. And I, I, I know I've seen families where everybody's an independent contractor. I was an only child. I thought, praise the Lord, I'd rather have that than uh, the people that I was supposed to be, you know. Amen. I better stop there. <laughs> Are you involved in something God's doing? I mean, you come to church, praise the Lord for that. But uh, if not now, these missionaries, these people, they can be prayed for. They need to be prayed for. Uh, you need to be a companion in labor somehow. And maybe you might do like Paul and say, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Why, why don't you? Sometimes it's because you're afraid of something he's going to tell you. God never put more on you than you can handle. I mean, your wife might, your husband might. Your parents might, and some places your preacher might, but God won't. That's why you ask the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Amen. He's not, never put more on me than he's shown me that I can do, well, great and mighty things. Amen. Because I call on him. So are you a soldier? Are you a good soldier, a deadbeat, who lets everybody else do your fighting for you? I hope not. Three things out of uh, verse 25. Of course, I got two extra things real quick. That's the thing with evangelists, you know, you never, they're never almost done. Don't believe them. Remember Earl Hughes, five country minutes? Country minutes were a lot longer than city minutes. If he comes out with that shepherd hook, I will submit. <laughs> Let me finish the verse. It says, your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Epaphroditus delivered a message from Philippi, to Paul. And beloved, if you're saving tonight, you've got a message that a lost and dying world needs Amen. to hear. So you need to be all those other things and you need to take your commission as a messenger of the glorious gospel. Paul said it was committed to his trust. You got a Bible in your lap? It was committed to your trust too. Amen. And then he said this and he said, and he ministered uh, and ministered to my wants. Amen. <laughs> Epaphroditus ministered to Paul. You know what that word means? As a verb, it means to help, to serve. We're supposed to be ministering to each other. So let me leave you this thought, you hope. Uh, are you ministering to anybody? Or are you still in that place? And sometimes it's just part of your spiritual maturity. But if you're still in that place where it's all about you, and you got to get past that. They've got to... Come to a place where you got to learn to give back. Amen. And that's where God will bless you more than your little wheels turning uh, or ever be able to figure out. And nobody will be able to get glory for it. But see, we get hung up in, in leaning on our understanding. And I'll tell you what God will do. He'll kick the slats off from under you. Amen. 
and that might be the best thing that could happen. Let's all stand. Preacher's going to come. A testimony of a Christian, not a super Christian, just a regular Christian. Three things, okay, five, that uh, we can all have a part in and need to. Amen. All right. Amen. That, that was a great passage, and he got that last part because I didn't think he was going to hit those.